Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. Once upon a time, there's a little girl who dreamed of being a dancer. She came to a fork in the road, and the path she chose made all the difference. From a life on the streets, she rose to hobnob with kings, dukes, counts, and the chairman of the board. She's now known to all as the First Lady of Song. The end. Let's talk about Ella Fitzgerald. Let's first drop her into history. In 1917, the Russian Revolution breaks out and Tsar Nicholas II abdicated the throne. Jeanette Rankin became the first woman member of the U.S. House of Representatives. And on exactly the same day that that happened, President Wilson asked Congress to declare war against Germany. That was a big day. It was April 2nd. <laughs> um, a few days later, of course, the U.S. entered World War One. That year, the Raggedy Ann doll was invented. The British royal family changed its last name from Hanover to Windsor. New York State gave women the right to vote. In 1917, the first jazz record is made in New York. And it was from the original Dixieland Jazz Band, but they spelled jazz J-A-S-S. And ironically, on April 25th, 1917, Ella Jane Fitzgerald was born in Newport News, Virginia. Okay, so Ella Jane Fitzgerald was born to William and Temperance, but she was called Tempe. I love that name. It is. It's cute. I don't know any Tempe's other than Arizona. You know, those names are coming back, like Temperance, Prudence. Mm Mm-hmm. Chastity, charity. <laughs> I don't know about chastity. I don't know if that's coming back. I'm pretty sure chastity's not coming back. <laughs> so, were they married? Were they not married? Interestingly, a lot of Ella Fitzgerald's history has been sanitized for our protection. You yes. know, she goes back to make it a little more palatable because her childhood was not. Um, it wasn't pretty. Her parents, William and Tempe, mm-hmm. um, did separate, and later, Mama and her little daughter Ella moved in with a Portuguese boyfriend of the mom's named Joseph, Joseph. De Silva. Were they married? Doesn't matter. No. No. But it mattered then a lot yeah, more. It than mattered it a lot because a lot of the a lot of the things that you read about Ella Fitzgerald are things that she said in interviews, which she didn't grant very often. She was a very private woman, so when she told stories in these interviews, they were often that stories. So I kind of feel bad in some regards. I have to say, when we started researching this, I went to the library and I suggest everybody do this and get as many DVDs as you can or CDs as you can of her music. And the very first CD that I put in and the very first song when I'm like going, okay, I'm going to research Ella Fitzgerald was please don't talk about me when I'm gone. (laughs) Oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry, but we'll talk about you nicely. (laughs) So anyway, so they're in Newport News. The parents have split up. Tempe is now with Joseph De Silva, and they join what is called the Great Migration. This huge black population from the South is separate but not equal. And so they hear about this great life in the North, and they would like to go and be a part of it. From yeah. about 1910, 1915 to about 1930, half of the Southern population of, of African Americans moved elsewhere which is huge. It wasn't an organized thing, but it, was just, it just happened. And Ella and her family got swooped up in that, and they moved up to New York. Now, <laughs> down in Virginia, Mama was a laundress. And in this better life in New York, Mama is a laundress. 
So it's not exactly. But you know what? If you move somewhere to give your children a better life, accidentally, mm-hmm. she did do that. Yes, she absolutely did. Because so what good. kind of life would Bella have had if she had stayed there? Mm-hmm. There is actually a really neat, and we'll link you up in our show notes. There's an NPR article and and podcast about about the Great Migration. If you'd like to learn more about that, it's kind of. It was kind of interesting. So they were in a very mixed neighborhood, Mm -hmm. not so very common in New York at the time. Um, A lot of times neighborhoods would end up being Italian or, you know, the Jewish neighborhood or whatever. And blocks were very specific as to who lived there. Mm -hmm. But this neighborhood was Italian and Spanish and black. And public school, which is where she went, was, man, that was was a school of hard knocks, I will tell you. She never went to any schools that weren't schools of hard knocks. Yeah, I was at, I know. Well, her parents were both very hard workers, Mm -hmm. but they were all, they were manual laborers. Her father did some occasional driving. He did some, unskilled construction work. So he was a laborer. Right. You know, he was Odd the one. jobs, really. Yeah. The best way to put that. So to supplement the income and to give you an idea of the neighborhood they lived in, Ella had some very colorful jobs as a young teenager. <laughs> she did. And tween. <laughs> she did. Um, she... Worked outside of a bordello, what, keeping watch? For the cops. Yeah. Who's going to suspect a kid, right? A girl kid standing out there. So there you go. And she ran numbers for an illegal gambling operation. She would um, take the bets, run them back to the secret betting shop, and then run the payouts out. I guess she was a trustworthy person to trust with some cash. So Yeah, that's true. So what did she do and what did all her friends do for, you know, fun after a hard day's work in gambling and prostitution? <laughs> Two main places that they went for fun. The Savoy Ballroom mm-hmm. and the Apollo Theater. I mean, there was exciting new music coming out of the pla- these places. Exciting new music. And it was all about the dancing, honestly, as far as she's concerned. You'd go to the Savoy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would have practiced at home. Because you don't want to show up at the Savoy. Looking, doing practice and doing moves. No, no, no. no you no. got to have them polished by then. So you'd run up, you know, you'd run to Harlem to catch, you know, Chick Webb or Billie Holiday, the big acts of the day. You'd mm-hmm. go to the Savoy Ballroom to dance. Mm-hmm. She, she w- wanted to call herself Snake Hips Fitzgerald. <laughs> After her hero, Snake Hips Tucker, who was known as the human boa constrictor because of the way he danced. I mean, these are the kind of dances. He invented this dance called the shimmy and everybody's like yeah so you learn the shimmy and you'd show your shimmy and booty off at the Savoy Ballroom. <laughs> so it's, it's just really interesting that dance was her first love. That was her thing. Yeah the music just I mean how can I say it just like filled her with joy and it just reminds me of that little penguin in Happy Feet. It's like oh, I can't help it. Oh I gotta dance. I mean it was just like that. It's yeah. what it seems like to me. Right. Yeah no I totally agree. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> and uh, she even started to get some gigs around Yonkers which is hilarious with this school friend of hers named Charles Gulliver. Mm-hmm. She started to get some gigs, but then they come to a crashing halt, literally. Because Ma dies. Now, there's conflicting reports about how Tempe died. Recent people say she died of a heart attack. But Ella always told a more colorful story. She tells a story about Mama riding in a car with a little boy on her lap. And the car gets into an accident, and Mama protects the boy, hits her head, and dies from that. That's the story that Ella gave, but... Charles and his family didn't know about this car accident. So you would think someone that was close to the family like they were would know that. So no, probably not. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We really don't know. So either way. It was um, traumatic. Now, at this point, there is another, there's a half-sister, Frances. Yes. So there's Ella, there's Frances, and they're about six or seven years apart in age. Mm-hmm. Six. And, and Joe. 
living together. And Elle is a teenager, and she's out all night dancing, and this is not the life that he's expecting of her, and he keeps her in the house for a very long time. Let's... I don't know how to delicately talk. That's all I said. He becomes too familiar, and her aunt, alarmed by such behavior, hauls her out of there. Mm-hmm. Aunt Virginia. And so she goes to live with Aunt Virginia in Harlem. Harlem had become a mecca for African Americans. It had been overdeveloped when it was built. Mm-hmm. And anytime you have a great supply and no demand, the prices go way, way down. Right. And as part of the Great Migration, I mean, Harlem had like two times the density of population as any other place in New York. Mm -hmm. And it was happening. That's where stuff was happening. So it ended up eventually being good for her, but she did not adjust well at first. No, and at this point, she's dropped out of school. So she's not going to school. She's doing her uh, odd jobs. And eventually the police catch up with her. And she is taken to live at the, sent by court to live at the New York State Training School for Girls, which is up uh, upstate near Albany. So she is totally taken out of her element and sent to this girl's school. And again, we're going to be delicate because, you know, Ella doesn't want us talking about her when she's gone. But life at the New York State Training School made life with Joe look like a vacation. Yeah, they were known for being kind of um, abusive with the discipliner, and it yeah. wasn't good. And she ran away, and within know, a year, I mean, yeah. she gets out of there. She gets out of there pretty fast, but yeah. she can't go back to her aunt's house because the cops are going to be looking for her there. So, yeah. so she lived mostly uh, on the streets. That were, she reminds me a little bit during this period of if you've ever seen that movie, Fried Green Tomatoes, mm-hmm. how Iggy like shows up and people yep. kind of know where she is. Mm-hmm. She's she's homeless, but she's kind of fine, but not like. Wonderful. Right. She's, they, people can keep an eye out on her ish. Yeah. She's sighted. They know where she is. So, um, it's know, not a really great. You know, and how do you better yourself? Seriously, how would you better yourself from that foundation? It's just, there's no ground to stand on. No, not at all. So you, you find the one thing that you think you're good at. Her ambition's still there. Yep. Her ambition is still there. And so enter the fork in the road, the Apollo Theater. Famous, famous Apollo Theater, where she used to go see shows, has a new amateur night. Mm -hmm. A radio show host named Ralph Cooper uh, had an amateur hour, and he had it on the radio, and it was broadcast to 21 stations over WMCA. (laughs) So you put your name on a card, and they pull names at random to be in the show. And so, as fate would have it, a couple of her friend girls from the streets Mm -hmm. also put their names on a card and put their names in. Guess whose name was pulled out? Random event number one. Yeah. Imagine if the host had been distracted and had pulled out a different, different card. But he Perfectly pulls on her card. Easy. And she's going to dance. That's her thing. Now, she does know how to sing. I mean, his Ella tells the story that she learned to sing in church. And she probably picked up a lot of musical theory from church because you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, given her background and her life, up till this point, I'm not thinking there's a whole lot of church going going on. Mm-mm. Well, so, tappy tap, you know, we're backstage in our threadbare dress and our men's boots and our home, <laughs> our homeless hair and our fabulousness. We're getting ready to go out in front of one of the most notoriously vocal, intolerant, still. Yep. I mean, intolerant and vocal for. audiences. They used to have a guy with a hook. <laughs> that used to pull you that's off. That's why that's in those movies. The hook. His name was Puerto Rico, which is, okay, Puerto <laughs> Rico was going to pull you off with a hook. <laughs> but if they liked you, they loved you. Well, yeah. And you knew it. And if they yeah. didn't like you, ooh, 
crush. Puerto Rico comes and gets you. <laughs> but right before her, here she is, backstage. I can imagine the nerves, because she's shy anyway. But so the nerves are probably great. Who knows? Maybe she vomited. We don't know. <laughs> I would have vomited. I was thinking about that. I couldn't do it even today. I don't know. Yeah. So right before her, the Edward sisters goes out. They have outfits. They have makeup. They are they slick. Have, they are fa- they're locally famous. So, I mean, this fast routine, they're very womanly, they're very sexy, Mm -hmm. the crowd is like screaming, they're jumping up and down, hands are waving in the air, and there she is, and how on earth? How do you follow that? How is she going to go on? Seriously. You can't, but she has to. So she turns to go, and her friends push her out on stage. (laughs) It's her turn. Imagine that. And what does she do? Does she dance? No. No. Well, kind of to save his show. Honestly, the natives are getting restless because she's standing there and someone yells, what the heck is she going to do? Although he didn't say heck. And so she's just standing there. I can just see, like, during the headlights. She can't see anybody. No. When you're on stage with those kind of footlights, you, you see, like, ghostly shadows. I wouldn't know, but you would. And you, yeah, in the theater background. But there, I can just imagine how horrible it is. Uh, oh. and, and so the MC is like, why don't you just sing something? Just sing. Just I'd, be, I'd be crying down my leg. So she's not crying about her leg <laughs> or whatever crying. <laughs> oh my god okay so you know what i'm sure she feels really sad seriously she has lost her one chance to dance she's lost it done it's done she had so she picked a song from the one record she said her mother had one record she knew one song well enough to roll it and it was called judy have you seen that first <laughs> I, I here's another pop culture reference okay brace yourself ready Although I'm going to fluff the name of the show because I don't really know. There's a show that has, like, Simon Cowell, and he's mean, and he's the judge. I think it's Britain's Got Talent. Okay. Is what I think I'm talking about right now. Okay. There is a singer named Susan Boyle. Yes. She is not attractive. She was not well put together. This was Britain. Yes. This was Britain's Got Talent. Yes. So she walks out on stage, and to me, that's just like the Apollo. Oh, Half the audience is like, whatever. And half the audience is like, oh, please just go. Please just go before you embarrass yourself, please. And they're like holding their friend and they're not looking. And then her, her mouth opens and it is like magic. Comes right out. That is, ooh, I got chills. Yes. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it was. It's it was. Just, it happened many, many years earlier. Yeah. So a whole audience of Simon Cowles. Yes. So, yes. So what happens? Uh, Talk about your four turn in the right way. Not only does she get out there, not get hooked off the stage, but she wins. She won 25 bucks. I don't know what that is in now money. I don't know. You know what? By the way, this contest at the Apollo is still going on. It's on hiatus right now. It starts up again in February. Uh The tickets are inexpensive. Even the best seats are only 29 bucks in modern day money. Yeah. (laughs) But it's like it happens every Wednesday. Um, There's still, you know, lines around the block to Mm -hmm. try out. Mm Mm-hmm. It's still just as bad of an audience. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so don't drink anything before you go on stage, or... You'll cry down your leg. Yeah, good times. Yeah. Anyway. Did you know the so. Jackson 5 won that same contest? I did. In 1969? So she went around entering every amateur contest that appeared, and she won. Won. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. But what she needed, what she really needed, was a break. Yeah, she needed a steady a steady gig, I guess, is the, yeah. is the musical big band lingo and that's what it was at the time it's big bands swing bands playing and if they had women singers they were pretty mm-hmm. and our friend ella is beautiful on the inside but on the outside she's a little rough well but finally she got a break she was she won 50 dollars in a contest so mm-hmm. she's already doubled her income and <laughs> along with this prize was 
you got to perform for a week at the Harlem Opera House with um, a band called the Tiny Bradshaw Band. That was like part of your deal. Kind of like on Project Runway, how you get money uh-huh. and then you get, you know, exposure. You watch Project Runway. Project Runway is my only hour of TV. Oh, my. So she did her week with the Tiny Bradshaw mm-hmm. Band. And there was a famous band leader named Chick Webb, and his band was booked in for the week after. And so at the end of her week, they caught her show. And he was super impressed, but not to the point of adding her to his band. You know, female singers, complicated things. In his view, mm-hmm. he already had a male singer. Right. Who was doing very well for the band. Good. The band was, their band was doing well, and she, yeah. he had no interest. So wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Networking is failing? That's That stinks. Chick Webb just saw you when he loved you, and that's the end? No. No. Because this band had this interesting and weird structure. Chick Webb himself was partially paralyzed in his legs from he had tuberculosis, and he also had a really bad fall as a baby. So he was the drummer. He was in the back, although he was the band leader. Mm-hmm. Um, while the front man, named Barju Ali, was the one you saw in front, like conducting and interacting with the audience. This guy, Barju Ali... He was not going to let this rest. He took her backstage to the dressing room, and he had her sing in front of Chick Webb in person in the dressing room. Right. Like, dude, listen. Seriously, listen to her. And he basically badgered poor old Chick Webb into giving her a chance. And finally he said, all right, fine. We're going to Yale. Get on the bus. If they like you at Yale, we'll see what we can do. Get out of my dressing room. He actually called her um, gawky and unkempt and a diamond in the rough. Yeah. And that's... Pretty much what she was. But you know what? The Yale audience, and one of my books calls the Yale audience hipsters, which is cracking me up because it's 1935. And they're hipsters. They're hipsters. So she's such a hit that he puts her on at $12.50 a week. So whatever. I love how you always get the salaries and the money. Well, it's important like, because she got a job, and you're like, and she was paid twelve fifty a week. <laughs> well, you know what? Her professional career has begun. She's officially on salary. No more just winning contests and hoping for the best. Nope. She is a professional singer with a big band. And this is a great place for us to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about the beginning of Ella's meteoric rise to stardom. We are. So she went on tour with Chick's band, and Chick and his wife were given legal guardianship of Ella Mm -hmm. to keep down the scandal because male band leaders were notorious for getting involved with their canaries, as they called them. (laughs) So he just wanted to keep it on the clean. She was underage. You know, later, her birth date gets altered. So is she 16 now, or is she 17? Well, she's really 17, but everyone thinks she's 16. Right. So... There you go. I don't know if that makes a difference to the scandal mongers of 16 or 17, but whatever. And I don't know about you, but everything I read, I mean, he was like almost like a father figure figure yeah. to her. He, They were very protective of her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we've emphasized this enough. She was shy mm-hmm. and quiet. She would show up to practices, do her thing, and leave. Well, yeah, it's funny because big bands of the time, you think of big bands, don't they seem square to you just 
thinking about him like they're so square. They're sitting there. I see. No, but not really. No, at no. The time. No, they were the rock stars of their day. There's, they were. There's drugs. There's ladies. There's drink. There's gambling. There's just out of control trashing of hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> and so maybe she'd seen it all before, honestly, because she was not that involved. They say, you know, she didn't really drink. Mm-hmm. She had um one time or a few times, maybe she would split a bottle of fine champagne with somebody's wife right that was in the band yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound too out of control no to me. not me either she seems like like a really sweet person and mm-hmm. she doesn't seem like she was innocent and naive because she had seen all that growing up but she did she just seemed it's, like yeah this a is nice my, person yeah this, this isn't is my thing yeah my thing is singing yeah and i want to sing you know she did get a different kind of education about now because mm-hmm. if seriously every major artist of that genre of music passed through anywhere she was at any time. Mm-hmm. She was dumped in the, the deep end of her music, I think. And people would help her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, here's what you do, sis. They all called her sis. Uh-huh. Um, she recorded her very first song called Love and Kisses, and it came out and she wanted to hear it. But the doorman wouldn't let her in because she was underage. And so she gave money to a random stranger and said, hey, will you go in there and play this song? On the jukebox? Yeah, on the jukebox. <laughs> and she sat there leaning against the wall, listening to her own voice coming out of the jukebox from outside. What from is, outside the yeah, window. that's such a sweet image. I yeah. love it. So she kept recording, and the band got a regular spot at the Savoy Ballroom. This place fascinates me. I know. To think, to, to read about this. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we talked. And this is like, the Apollo, that's one thing. We still, we know what that's about. But the Savoy Ballroom sounds so cool. This place was a magnet for the cool kids. I mean, there were two stages that could disappear mm-hmm. at will. So mm-hmm. it was like... And there were two stages because the music did not stop Mm-mm. at the Savoy Ballroom. So you'd have one. And, you know, brass players cannot go for eight hours. It's not possible. you got to take a break. Right. You know, the trumpet, you're not going right. to sit there. You're not going to be able to do it. Not well, even the singers. I yeah, mean, yeah. that's, yeah, you're putting out your soul because so this you, is the harsh critics that are dancing here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a natural, there's two stages that go in and out. So if that is not prime time for Battle of the Bands mm-hmm. situation, <laughs> I don't know what is. And mm-hmm. so... It was just so exciting. So, like, the Studio 54 of its day. But, unlike Studio 54, if you had money, you were in, my friends. If you could fit in there, give me your money. Yep. And it was just like... It didn't matter who you were. Oh, everybody yeah. was sweaty, and they called it the home of happy feet. Maybe they need a better slogan. <laughs> I don't know. A rave, almost. They would love to wear people out. That was their goal. Uh-huh. Um, so it was fun and exhausting, and, um, like, DJs at a rave. I wrote that in my notes. That's hilarious. So one set tries to stop the other, and... Talk together, out energizing the winners or the dancers. Right. Because they're just going and going and going. It's not like, so let's awesome. sit down and have a drink and chat. And then, oh, we'll dance to this song. I like it. No, you are there to show your stuff on that floor. And at so. 20, there was a big battle with Benny Goodman. Benny so Goodman. Like, I mean, it was even like, if you're not musical, you know Benny Goodman. Yeah. So it's like Chick Webb versus Benny Goodman. And so that had reached this fever Ooh. pitch. And Ella hadn't even sung yet. She's 20 at this time. Right. And so, you know, can you imagine the energy in the room? is like, ah! and then Ella starts singing, and everybody stopped dancing. <laughs> Everyone thinks, what the? Okay, but no. Everybody linked arms and started swaying Wendy. to her music. Because it's just so beautiful. So she talked the energy of two old boys and their big bands, and Ella had more magic than that. 
Now I know you really want to go out and listen to some Ella Fitzgerald. You do. Let's, um, we've never done a recording artist before. Or anybody contemporary. This is the most recent person that we've ever yeah. talked about. So, um, the thing is with music, my father was the president of a musician's union for over 30 years. And we have requested permission to play some Ella Fitzgerald clips throughout this podcast. Right. But I'm going to tell you, if we don't get permission from her estate, we're not going to do it. It's no. really disrespectful. So, I've got other people singing the standards that she's saying so far, but if they get back to us, we'll put real clips in. But do go to the library if you don't want to throw right. down some money. Um, we'll we'll tell you our three favorites, four favorites at the end. But yeah, do listen to her energy. Yeah. Okay, so contemporary person, Billie Holiday. Right. Uh, <laughs> Billie Holiday <laughs> was jealous. Honestly, that's all I can say. Billie Holiday was like the bad girl to Ella Fitzgerald's good girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's it a good way to put it. it. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, okay, so here's two quotes from these two women that'll kind of give you evidence of what we're, what's going on. And we're not being mean to Billie Holiday no. because she, I mean, she, could very well show up on an episode in the future. Mm-hmm. That's she's definitely on the list. But I'm just right now, as she relates to Ella Fitzgerald, not she's, good. it's the mean girl. It is the mean girl. So Ella Fitzgerald, between sets at the Savoy, mm-hmm. Billy Holiday was playing, and so she and some band guys ran up there as fast as they could between sets to catch her act. That's what you do. You know, right. you visit visiting acts. You show in through the back door and listen. And Ella Fitzgerald's like, oh, I don't know if I did the right thing, but we went on down there to the Apollo Theater, and I, I asked for her autograph. <laughs> she was so nervous, and she's like, I don't know, that might be uncool, but I just really wanted her autograph. Sure. Same night, Billie Holiday went up to catch Ella Fitzgerald, and here's what Billie Holiday said. There's that great band, and then there's that B Ella. Although she didn't say B. She didn't say B. Take this gardenia and go, Billy. Because Ella just loved her so much and just was so excited to be in the same room with her. And then Billie Holiday just like, eh. She's nothing. So I feel bummed about that. <sighs> How could she? She's jealous. Yeah. Well, Ella has this combo of little girl voice mm-hmm. and then this interesting thing called scat that she does. Right. Now, <laughs> do you know what that is? I think most people do. And it's what she's famous for. It's just like basically using um percussive consonant sounds to mm-hmm. fill in the music. It's just like using your voice as an instrument, instrument rather than, you know, conveying a message with your words. Right. And it's always they liken her voice to the horns. Yeah, Ella said she stole everything she ever sang, but she stole it from the, the horn horns. section. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> so that was kinda cute. Yeah. yeah, and she was really good at um mimicking the, the different timbre of the instruments. It was yeah, really neat. It is. It's fun. And one thing that I I've been doing since we started it is I play these CDs in my car. <laughs> with nobody. They're just me and my minivan and I crank them and then I'm like scatting and singing along with her and I really am not a very good singer and I'm not musical. So can you tell me what this octave range that this woman had meant for the non-musical people? Well, okay, an octave is like, you know, that song from um Sound of Music, that mm-hmm. Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So. Okay, so there's three of those. Right. So you try it. I mean, three of those in good voice. Three of those that you don't have to fake in any way. It doesn't go in your nose. Mm-mm. It's like a real chest voice. She mm-hmm. had three octaves. I mean, it was such a big range. People said you needed an elevator to get all the way to the top. <laughs> so she had a good technique, and she had this range that could just cover so many different songs, any keys. You know, some singers, you had to be careful what key you started the music in because they would crack at the top because it was out of their range. You had to be right. careful. But with Ella, you just start wherever you want. She'll follow you. Yeah. It'll be all right. That's Wow. Yeah. And she was also known as a very flexible singer. Like, um, the band leader would start 
wherever he was, and then he would just point at her. And she'd come in right then, like, when do you want me, my friend? And she knew, like, she was completely flexible. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was good. Like, she's another... Another instrument. Things it's, didn't throw her yeah. off. It was nope. good. She's already called the first lady of the uh, song, by the way, yes. by this time. By now. And how old is she? Yeah, 20. And she's making $125 a week now. Which is big money for her. A 10-time raise of salary. And she's she's doing what she loves. Yeah, so that's good. So, so yeah, she's already famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Downbeat has already voted her best female vocalist. Yeah. Bing, Bing Crosby's the boy. We all know him. These accolades that follow this woman, I mean, it, it yeah. almost starts, you just kind of get numb to them. If there was something, she she was it. Her career had a couple downslides, but those downslides were still any other artist's peaks. Yeah. So she went to a famous arranger who later went on to do the I Dream of Jeannie music. Yeah, that's it. He's super famous. <laughs> well, his songs are super famous. <laughs> anyway. What's his name? We don't know his name. No. <laughs> okay. So um, she had this crazy idea. She had this song. And it was stuck in her head. You know how it gets. Mm-hmm. But she could actually do something with it. Yeah. Instead of putting it on Facebook like we do. Guess what song's stuck in my head? That's right. <laughs> putting up a YouTube video. <laughs> get it out. Get it out. So she comes up with this song based on the nursery rhyme from when she was a kid. A tisket, a tasket. And it is her first hit. And it's not just a hit. It's like a big hit. How many weeks was it? 19 weeks on the hit parade. That is a big deal. She was famous in New York and then the club scene. And now she is going bigger. You know what's funny? This song was so famous that it got put in this movie. And it made no sense in context. It's Abbott and Costello's Ride'em Cowboy. And she appears... On screen. On a bus. As a singing maid. Oh, yeah. Ruby, her name, her character's name is Ruby. And she sings the song, and we'll link you up because it is on YouTube, but she's in an Abbott and Costello movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, how funny is that? And I, I mean, okay, let's sociologically, her seat is in the back of the bus still, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. But she's looking for her basket, and she's singing the song. Which It just seems like, hey, let's put some random song in so we could get this chick up on the screen. Right. And Abbott and Costello it? pop through the back of the window and they sing along with it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like product placement. Seriously, it, well, this is popular. Let's put it in the movie. Right. That's cool. Whatever. It was also in another movie that was completely inappropriate. I mean, think about, like, it's a tisket, a tasket, a lost yellow basket. Okay, somebody used it later in an Italian movie about a war veteran returning from a prison camp. It's like, does that seem to go along? It's, it's juxtaposition. It's very bizarro. <laughs> so the song went every place. Yeah. In fact, if you have preschoolers at home, you may recognize a tisket, a tasket as the song Unique was sings during the night episode where she... um Talks about a message, a message, a very important message. So we'll have to put the YouTube link for that up, That's too. Right. It's exactly the same song. This whole episode is like YouTube link. Well, and that's it's the nature of the performing artist. We yes. just have a lot of links for you to because watch. She's, because she was recorded and we can find these recordings you yeah. know, and watch her. Which We're is... not going to find Marie Antoinette's um, stage performances no. on YouTube. Sadly. No. That's too bad. But we can find the bus scene from yeah. Ride em Cowboy. <laughs> Around then, the album thing wasn't really done. You you would provide, you just kept feeding the public songs. Songs, 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 songs. The volume of songs she recorded is just staggering. 
And a lot of bands were recording arrangements of the same songs. So it's like, what is that? The Shondells sing, I think we're alone now. And then Tiffany does that same song. Mm-hmm. It would be as if they were simultaneous releases. At the, at right. the exact same time. 30-year difference, yeah. So that's, that's like that's what you're looking at. It's like this very strange, anybody could do it, open season on this song kind of mm-hmm. thing. And that's just the climate. So you had to be at the top of your game. Right. Because you're singing the same song as everybody else. Now, it, around this time, unfortunately, Chick Webb, who's had this condition his entire life, succumbs to it. He dies. Mm-hmm. And so the band is still starting to pick up momentum nationally. Um, so it gets renamed Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra. In five years, she has gone from homeless to fronting one of the best-known bands in New York City. Just pause to think about that for just a second. That is amazing. And you think, you know, that that kind of um, meteoric rise can only happen in contemporary society where we have the Internet. You know? Yeah. Oh, I know. Is, I mean, you look at the Bieber. Okay, now look away. No. Look back. No, look away. <laughs> I like the Bieber. You just admitted that. I know. Like in public. I'll admit it in public. Wow. I'm just saying, you know, like his music or not like his music, he's a good drummer. He's a good singer. Yeah. He's a nice boy. Uh Uh-huh. I'm just saying, if you can keep your nice, like, well, like Ella Fitzgerald kept her nice. She did keep her nice. So if you keep your core of nice, I, you know, I got nothing but love for you. So Ella Fitzgerald's voice was graduating about now from little girl to woman. And her subtext were kind of getting a little more... Sexy, too. A little bit. Although, you know what? I think through her entire life, she could get that little girl voice back again. Her voice epitomizes woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, she can go from little girl to sexy mama in the same song. Mm -hmm. That's that's just what we are as women. You know, we can go from little girl to sexy mama Mm -hmm. in the same hour. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a glass of wine. Yeah. So back to the, um, so she's basically breaking out for a solo career about now because mm-hmm. the band, the specific band became less important to the music than the vocals. And it's just interesting the way like the band used to be the showpiece and then she'd come in honestly halfway through the song. But now she's the main event. And that's who they want to see. That's, that's who, who they were coming see. to see. But man, was that a poor timing to be a soloist. Mm-mm. Um, the big ballrooms. You know, held the big bands. They don't hold the trio. They don't hold little bands, with, you know. And so she was in small, lesser known venues. The wartime gas rationing came in. And so it was hard for her to tour and it was hard for the audiences to get there. And the musicians union went on strike. So there's no recording right now. This is bad. It's like, well, <laughs> that was not a good time. No. To open up your solo career. No. Um, she is so adaptable. I'm just telling you what. She tried this new technique where she would guest artist with, y'all all know these names, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Dizzy Gillespie. She's back to her jazz roots, but she has this double life, you know. She's pop by day, or on the radio, mm-hmm. and she's like super jazz 3000 at night. So her fame grew. She's 30. Why no radio show? All these other stars get radio shows. You get to this level, you get a radio show. That's just what happens. They passed her over again and again and again. It was a color line that just couldn't be crossed. And it was the sponsors, you know, Uh honestly. There's a quote, actually, from Metronome Magazine that says, angrily, Need we draw any neon arrows to lead you to the large and disgraceful specter of Jim Crowism behind American radio? It is so, and I throw this charge at every advertiser and every network, along with the back of my hand. 
And that's a reviewer. Right. Angry on her behalf. Yeah. And she had her debut of Carnegie Hall this year. Can't beat that. She seems to like Carnegie Hall, and Carnegie Hall seems to like her. So her love life. Oh, are we going to talk about her love life now? Oh, yes. <sighs> well, okay, she had a brief episode uh, a couple years earlier. She says, okay, there's two versions. Okay, Ella's, yes. Ella's version mm-hmm. and what probably happened. Yes. Ella's version is more colorful. Shall we tell that first? Okay, here's Ella's version. There's a stage door Johnny that hangs outside. Some might call them a stalker. Some might call them a super fan. But they called them stage door Johnny's, waiting for her to come out so he can give her some flowers or talk to her, touch her sleeve or whatever. And the band guy started razzing her about this guy. Now, keep in mind, this is Ella Fitzgerald's story. And they bet her that they, she wouldn't marry him, and she did. She did. And it turned out to be a mistake. You should never marry anybody on a bet, she said. Okay, but what really happened... <laughs> His name is Benny Gay, and he wasn't... um by night, he might have been a stage door Johnny, but he was also, he was also, what's the word? Criminal. Yes, that's a good word. <laughs> yeah, we have to get Ella thug. Yeah, he's not really the best guy for our sweet Ella. No, and, you know, in reality, the band guy is like a whole group of brothers. I mean, this is their mm-hmm. sis. Yeah. They, she married this guy, and they are appalled. Like, any older brother would be like, what? are you doing with that fool? We hate him. They wouldn't talk to him. Eventually, you know, she came to her senses and um, they couldn't really get divorced. It was very hard to get a divorce. And so she got, right. they got the marriage annulled right. based on the fact that he hadn't disclosed his criminal record. Right. But she had a better luck with the second one. She did. She meets Ray Brown, who's a bassist with Dizzy Gillespie. They met at work. I know. It's so cute. And he's adorable. Mm -hmm. He's very handsome. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just will post, obviously, go to our page. We'll post pictures. But he's adorable. And then he looked very happy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this this was a good match. And they adopted a baby. And... Her little sister, Frances, this is, the rumor is that it was her natural son mm-hmm. that they adopted, but you know what they named him? It is not just the royalty of years <laughs> gone by that do this to us. Why, people? Her husband's name is Ray Brown. Her son's name is Ray Brown Jr. Jr. Hmm. So there you go. But both parents are working really hard and really separately. So Aunt Virginia, who had um, stolen her out of her bad house right. before, came um, to take care of little Ray. Right. So... They adopted this this baby, and then they both hit the road, mm-hmm. which is kind of the kind of mom she was. It's not that she didn't love her son. She did, but her career took her all over. And it's not like the fast travel of today, Mm-mm. you know. So. Well, and you know what? The band members were very dismissive of her family. Not Ray. They liked Ray, her husband. But of her extended family, they said that they would sometimes buttonhole her right as she was going on stage with, hey, can I get a loan? Can I get some money? Can I? Mm. And they would only come around when they needed something, yeah. kind of. And that would make me a little distant to them, too. It's like, well, oh, where were you when I was homeless? Yeah. <laughs> Then that seems a little bit, yeah. And the band members, see, I just they just seem like her brothers or her, her family. family. That's her real family, the family she chose rather than the. That's true. So when she was thirty-two, she recorded both my favorite of her songs and yes. the song I hate the most of her songs. Not only do I hate this song the most of her songs, I hate this song the most of all Christmas songs, which is <laughs> "Baby, It's Cold Outside." Lots of people I really like can't that. Stay. 
But yeah, that song. You I hate just, that song? I hate that song. Okay, it's, you like Bieber, I like that song. Well, the reason I don't like the song, if you listen to the words, she's like, I really gotta go. And he's like, come on, have a drink. He's a sweet talker, and she wants to stay, cause it's cold outside, and it's warm inside see, by just, the fire with, in his arms. Oh no, see, here I am, like, look at this predator! Oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like that song at all. Okay, so anyway, my favorite song that okay. she has ever recorded, and one of my favorite jazz songs, is called Black Coffee, and it's very sultry, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of dark. But Why don't you remind us what it sounds like? I'm coming up with nothing. I'm blank. I'll see if I can find it on uh, <sighs> music. Yeah. I'm okay. She keeps trying to get me to sing. That's because you have a... I'm like all over the place here, and you have a way better singing voice than I do. Well, I had all that theater training. I know, and you should use it right now in front of this microphone. I should be the person that sings it instead dances. And then I'll dance. Okay. I would and like I'll be a hit. dance. So the press is so strange about her. So strange. They loved her music. And, you know, though half of it was those horrible novelty songs. Mm-hmm. She even called them crap. Patootie pie and frim fram sauce and peas and rice. And she's like, what am I doing? What am I doing with these? Like, there's one called Chew, 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 Your Bubble Gum. She's like, I hate this. Crap. But on the other hand, she'd been taken apart for her appearance. Ebony Magazine, who you would think would be a little more smive, yes, called her matronly looking and always talked about how she disliked makeup. And she said back to them, I know I'm no glamour girl, but it's not easy for me to get up in front of people and sing. Basically trying to say, why are you focusing on that? It's not yeah. easy for me. Have you listened to my beautiful voice? I mean, look a little deeper, people. Well, and people thought she was arrogant, honestly. But the truth is, as so many people that they think is arrogant, she was painfully shy. Mm-hmm. It cost her a lot to get on stage in front of people. She never realized what a big star she was. No. Ever. Mm-mm. No. And like a lot of performers, when she goes on stage, Went on stage, she became somebody else. Her, mm-hmm. her on stage. It's kind of like Beyonce. If you ever see interviews with Beyonce, she is sweet and quiet and mm. soft spoken. And then, you know. She gets on stage. Yeah, she, she's soft and fierce, you know, and it's like the two parts of her personality. Yeah. And I just, it's, it's kind of like that. Ella Fierce. <laughs> She probably would have liked that, actually. Oh, so poor old Ella just, uh, you know, can't win for losing or whatever. But, you know, what else is a big problem is race relations right now. It's a big problem because she's touring all over the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, She's got to be with this group called Jazz at the Philharmonic. Um, with a man that's going to be her producer from now on named Norman Grants, and he had rules in his contracts. Any venue, no segregated audiences. They wouldn't have it. Ticket sales had to be completely fair. There could not be a separate section for the black fans. And uh, if the contract got broken, if he found out that anything like that had happened, they got paid, they did not play. Mm-hmm. He he was a shrewd businessman and in in show business for a long time, but he was he was fair, you know. He's like, this is we are all human. Don't look don't look at color. Just do the right thing. And he was very adamant. He took that shrewd business sense and he played it into the race relations of of the time. You know, sometimes sense. sometimes it cost him bookings, mm-hmm. and he's firm. He was completely firm. And one time in South Carolina, the band got chased out. People looked around at who they were sitting beside. And it was completely integrated, you know, random. Mm-hmm. Like salt and pepper mixed in a shaker. Mm-hmm. Completely random. And once the shock 
wore off about like this is really how it's going to be, they actually got chased out of the theater. Yeah. And back onto their bus and chased out of town. So, you know, we don't realize that that's it's serious. And you know, hotel segregation too. Oh yeah. The the black performers and the white performers often were told they couldn't stay in the same hotel, and he wouldn't have that either. He's like, well, then we're out of here. He actually had to call the uh, NAACP one mm-hmm. time to straighten out a hotel segregation issue, but he was willing to do it. Yep. Unfortunately, all this traveling. And all this drama and all this absence from each other really led to Ray and Ella just not being able to make it as a marriage. There was no acrimony. They were fine. They were, they stayed friends and worked together for the rest of their life, but she actually had to travel to Juarez, Mexico to get a divorce. So that is the opening act of her professional life. And then when we come back, we'll talk about the peak. Sounds good. Ain't no use in diving. Straighten up and fly right. Cool down, Papa. Don't you blow your top. And we are back. And we are just going to take this on home. Take it on home. You guys are going to be so sad that I didn't hit record 30 seconds earlier because the scat stylings of Snake Hips Bone Wider. That is a feeling. Get it out, girl. Okay, so here we go. We are not happy with our current, you know, she's saying it's crap. Why do they have me recording all this crap? That was Decca. Um, And so she's unhappy, and she moved with the assistance of Norman Gans, who will be her producer slash agent from now on. Mm -hmm. She moved to Verve Records, and her career... Hit this huge upswing. We already thought we were at the top. No way! It's just like her singing. And so, um, the, this manager cared what she thought, honestly, and he was media savvy and he was not afraid to experiment and they really fit nicely together. Professionally. They weren't, you know, dating or anything. No. So she recorded with Louis Armstrong and the album was just called Ella and Louis. First names only. That's all you need. That's all you need. She used to do this impression of him that used to crack people up, and it started as a joke with the band, you know? Uh-huh. Like, she'd be like, blah, 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 you know? Uh-huh. And then they'd feed her the words because she didn't know his songs or whatever, and so she would just, she would do it, and the guy right behind her would, like, feed her, whisper her the words. And she'd And everyone in the band could hardly play for cracking up because <laughs> she did such a good job. And so when she finally got to record with Louie, he thought that was hilarious. Oh, of course. So they have a good friendship. But she is going months with not a day off. Mm -mm. She's recording, I mean, seriously, three albums a year. Bands do not do that now. No. Three albums a year. No. And touring. Constantly touring. And then doing these, like, special things, special gigs, um, meetups with friends. Mm -hmm. I'll show up at your show, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Show business is her life. It is I mean, her it's life. her life. You know, we all have our careers and our families, but she combined it all in that one yeah. ball. And she's being described as a cultural force right now and as a permanent tradition. She's mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of, like, Harry Potter has become part of our culture. Right. Like it or not, you know, Harry Potter right. is a byword. Ella Fitzgerald was the byword. Yep. So good for her. Seventeen thousand people came to see her backed by the LA Philharmonic Orchestra called An Evening with Ella Fitzgerald. 
So that's awesome. She's <laughs> she had this absolutely disastrous relationship with a Norwegian. See, that's the problem. You get big, you tour the Philharmonic, you go to Europe, you meet blue-eyed blonde guys. Yeah. Named Tor Larson. So it's like her first husband all over again. Yes. Mr. Criminal Record, he stole money from a previous fiance. He's actually banned from the United States at one point for years. So some say she married him. Some say she didn't marry him. But nevertheless, he, he goes away from her life. Yes. And another blue-eyed boy, there's way better success. Oh my goodness, this is super, super, super star success. That was a great segue, Beckett. Thank you. She pairs up with Frank Sinatra. Anyway, so she is this superstar, and he is... He's just a phenomenon. I don't know what to say about Frank Sinatra. So they pair up, and they have a friendship that lasts for the rest of their lives. And they, they, you can see a lot of them together, and they just seem to be having so much fun. And they do records, and they do TV shows, and he wants her. He does these TV shows where he has one guest. And it's her. And that's yeah. it. And they sing and they they sing contemporary songs and they yeah, play off into each other and they're just sitting there by the piano singing. I cannot list all the people she worked with. I cannot list all the gigs. There's no, no way. We could sit here and recite them. You get overstimulated by the the names on these artists. You just go numb after a while. Yeah, so basically, have you heard of them? She's worked with them. Mm-hmm. Rod Serling from The Twilight Zone. <laughs> Karen Carpenter. The Rolling Stones. Yule Brenner. Ira Gershwin. <laughs> Quincy Jones. I mean, forget Kevin Bacon. Yes. If you know anything about music, you could play Six Degrees. You could play Two Degrees. Two Degrees. I, I was going to say, it doesn't take very many steps. No. But you know, all. she never recorded with Nat King Cole, which is a really big That is hole. a big, that's a big surprise. Now, she sang with him, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a live, a couple live shows, but they yeah. never recorded, and that's yeah. a big, that's unfortunate. Um, so when she's 43, she performed at JFK's inaugural. Her personal life, however, at this point and going forward is n- non-existent. No. I have a quote from a band member of this time. Here's the quote. Okay. She was working her ass off two shows a night, even at dinner. She's worried about songs, no shopping, no movies, no friends, no family, unless they wanted money. Just hard, hard work until she dropped. Don't get me wrong. She loved it. But everyone deserves to have some kind of a life. Mm, That is so sad. That's how we can sit here and say that she sang and performed with all of those Mm -hmm. people is because that was it. Yeah. She gave her life to her art, I think. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The world, the world is changing a lot. Um, especially after JFK was assassinated, anyone who was around then will remember the world seemed to be less innocent, kind of. You know, Vietnam, you've got civil rights. Right. Your Rosemary Clooney's aren't hip anymore, really. No. You know, so Ella Fitzgerald, uh, what shall I say, Tina Turner did up? I mean, Tina Turner wasn't around then. <laughs> she, right. she big blonde wig, and she covered Beatles songs, mm-hmm. and she got contemporary, and a lot of people tried it, and a lot of people fell on the faces, mm-hmm. but she seemed to pull it off. She had such a big fan base. I mm-hmm. think that's what that's what did. They're like, oh, what is she doing now? All right. The Rolling Stones <laughs> used to sneak in to watch her record. The Rolling Stones, I'm repeating, are excited to be able to see her record. They feel lucky to be in the same building. That's pretty cool. That's all I'm saying. I just want to give you some scope here. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, so, so she's pushing herself, pushing herself, pushing herself. She's a multimillionaire. She's not going to slow down. 
So she went to a different label called Capitol, where they recorded these really sad gospel and Christmas albums that, you know, arguably I'd say that's the big failure of her career right there, that little series of Capitol records. Yeah. And so Frank called and said, you know, I've been trying to get you over here for years. I don't know if it's reprise or reprise his label. And she finally is like, well, get me out of here. You know? Yeah. Okay, Frank, I'm here. So she's bounced around from quite a few labels trying to, I think she's just trying to find... Right place. Yeah, yeah, she's trying to find the right place. And mm-hmm. she ended up, the very last label, she was on um, a label named Pablo, after her producer's friend, Pablo Picasso. Yeah. Just a little art guy, yeah. I know. This, this guy. With some pictures. He does. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Her health is falling apart. She has heart disease. Her diabetes is starting to catch up with her. And at this point, she has to take a break from performing. She's got, like, two years of assorted eye surgeries mm-hmm. with and they leave her with these Coke bottle glasses that she's going to sport, either sport or not be able to see. <laughs> for, for the rest of her life. For the rest of her life. Yeah. Although, I will say, you might remember some other glasses. Because. Oh, yes. This was the time mm-hmm. that she did the, is it live or is it Memorex? I really think commercial. it's interesting about this. But at some point, all of us, you and me and anybody who's listening, comes in to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, we, maybe we didn't know Ella's life early. But at some point, she intertwines with our own personal histories. And mm-hmm. I think Memorex. Mm-hmm. Do you remember it, those commercials? I totally do. There was a series of glasses. And they she would sing a loud note. And then they'd play it back. And the glasses would break. Right. And the tagline was, is it live or is it Memorex? So each of the glasses, she said, were blown to a certain pitch. So it was kind of like a sneak because she was known for perfect pitch. In fact, bands used to tune themselves to her voice. That's amazing. Which is funny. Yeah, yeah they didn't have that app on their iPhone, <laughs> the guitar tuning app. They just used Ella. Ella was the perfect app. And so um, they would amplify her voice back at that perfect pitch and it would blow it. But you had to use amplification. I don't think there's any evidence she actually blew a glass with just her voice. I think it was the amplified sound that blew it. I have to do some investigation. Now, I knew her. This is where I come in. Uh-huh. Like Susan said, I knew her as the Memorex lady. Right. Um, also, she did a famous series of ads photographed by Annie Leibovitz mm-hmm. for American Express. Right. And then she did the We Do Chicken Right scat commercials for KFC. <laughs> so in the late 80s, she has to have coronary bypass surgery. And now, like we talked about before, she has diabetes. It's probably undiagnosed for a very long time. She's living this crazy life. Her weight is fluctuating back. All the things that you're not supposed to do with diabetes. And I say this knowing perfectly well from personal experience because I do have diabetes. You don't die from diabetes. You die from complications because of the disease, what it does systemically to your body. And that's what's happening to poor Ella. It's Her eyesight is failing. Her heart is failing. Her body is just not performing the way that it's supposed to because her body has not regulated all those sugars and carbs that she's lived on her whole life. The fried chicken that she's eating, bad, bad. The pie, bad. You know, and in the quantities that she was eating it, that's what's happening. So she's, her eyesight's failing. She has coronary bypass surgery. She has to take a little time off. But then she goes back and she keeps her, she keeps performing. King Juan Carlos of Spain asked Ronald Reagan if he could meet Ella Fitzgerald when he came to the White House. <laughs> sure. So would you perform too? I probably would. Heck yeah. Like foreign dignitaries request you special. But um, here's the question I have. Yeah. Is this adoration an acceptable substitute for love? Is it? Seriously, I don't, what she didn't have, which mm. she never really had, was love for real. Like, no one in her life, no real, you know, no real interest 
I mean, Ray maybe was a brief flash, mm-hmm. uh, but for almost 30 years, he'd been not, you know, even Ray Jr. Jr., yeah. Honestly, here here is how bad that was at a point. He'd hardly seen his mother growing up. She went to his wedding and saw his bride-to-be for the first time when she came down the aisle. And I quote Ella Fitzgerald here, I was waiting for this little colored girl to come walking down the aisle, and I looked and I saw this redhead. I think she's Scottish or Irish. <laughs> not close, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Like, think well, you know your daughter-in-law, maybe, just a little bit. Or at least the fact that she had red hair, or at least... Nothing. 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 She was surprised. You know, later, though, she did get a little glimmer of that back, because she did say later that all she wanted to do was smell the air, listen to the birds, and hear Alice laugh, and Alice is Ray's little daughter. Mm-hmm. So she had that brief grandma calmness at the yeah. end. She tours up until the early 90s when she has to have a double amputation. The circulation in her legs is because of the diabetes is, is warranted that. That was in 1993. And on June 15th, 1996, at the age of 79, at her home in Beverly Hills, Ella Jean Fitzgerald dies. Leaving behind just the most greatest oh legacy my, ever. No kidding. I no mean, kidding. She she has got, I mean, over... Over 200 recordings. We'll link you up <laughs> to a discography, but honestly, there's no point reading it out loud. It, it, it covers decades. It covers genres. There's, it's amazing. 13 Grammys, including a Lifetime Achievement one in 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was a musical accolade, she got it. Oh yeah. In her life. And not like. only musical accolade, the NAACP, mm-hmm. um, gave her an image award, which is big, and she has six Honorary doctorates from places, some little places like, you know, Princeton, Dartmouth, Harvard, Yale. Which is pretty remarkable for a girl who dropped out of high school, (laughs) public high school as a teenager. We'd really be remiss if we didn't talk about the Ella Fitzgerald Charitable Foundation, which um, is kind of funded by her royalties as well as her estate. You know, the royalties just keep coming. Um, there is an amazing list of organizations that really owe a lot to this foundation. Among them, of course, the American Heart Association. But more than that, there's one that I really love called A Book Just For Me, which which gives books to children who might not have any, which is amazingly cool. It also provides grants to organizations that provide free or low-cost health care, those that cannot afford it. Also, the Center for the Partially Sighted in Los Angeles and um, a group called Children of the Night, um, and again, Disadvantaged Youth, and also Guide Dogs of America. So, really... Ella keeps enriching people's lives even today in very real and I mean, very emotional ways. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Okay, researching this, it's just because she's so contemporary, we can get our hands on her images. We can read about her as a, a 20-year-old girl and see her in Abbott and Costello's movie. You know, I mean, just live on YouTube if you want, and you can click one after another and see her with... Some super big names. You can just get totally lost. And now, like I said, I'm not musical, but just researching this and listening to the music and, and the different styles that she's saying, it's really a lesson in musical history just to listen to Ella Fitzgerald. I think she's got the longest career of any female singer. I'm, uh, you know, her influence mm-hmm. on generations of people, anyone that says they're not influenced by her, I think they're telling you a story, and if, or maybe they just don't realize they're influenced by her, because their influences have been influenced by Ella Fitzgerald. Excellent point. She changed the course of, definitely changed the course of jazz, for sure. Um, if you're gonna ask what our favorite CDs are, what should we start with? Here's an entry level one. 
that I recommend. It's got a bright yellow case on Amazon. It's called The Best of the Songbooks. There was a series of recordings she did where she would record the hits from certain writers, certain acts. Like, there is a Cole Porter songbook. There's a Rodgers and Hammerstein songbook. And this CD has selected kind of the, the best of all of those. And that gives you a nice sampler, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. If you're going to get one... Get that. But also, just get go to your library and get any CDs that they have and just listen to them. Because you might, I mean, the things that resonate with us might not resonate with you. And I, that's what I would recommend. Just start playing them. Now, if you want some podcast information, go to our podcast boyfriends, the Bowery Boys. <laughs> and and um, they have a couple of podcasts that you can hear. One about Carnegie Hall one about the Apollo Theater. Love. It's episode 15. Episode 15. Um, they have a really cool blog post about the Savoy Ballroom, on a, and we will link you up to that. There's also a video podcast from Verve Records that's on iTunes. Um, they're short, and it's but contemporary, more contemporary artists talking about her influence, and, and her music is on there, some of it. There's also, um, you can go to the ApolloTheater.org slash Amateur Nights and get all the info if you ever want to try out, uh, you know, open season, feel free. Oh, if you do, please, please send us Tell a us. Yeah, you know what, this is more than anybody that we've talked about. I think we would really like to hear what, what you liked, what's t- resonating with your life with Ella. Just listen to her music. Watch those, just get lost on YouTube. It's not like you don't screw around online. You know you do. <laughs> um, there's actually a DVD on Netflix. Ella Fitzgerald, Something to Live For. Maybe you want to give give a look at that. It's it's about her career. Now, um, a couple of books I recommend. Now, one is very heavy into the specifics as to what each recording sounds like. So if you are a jazz nerd, this book is for you. If you are not a jazz nerd, you're going to want to choose another book <laughs> because <laughs> this one is called The First Lady of Song, Ella Fitzgerald, For the Record, by Jeffrey Mark Feidelman. And I have to tell you, the specifics of the performance, he knows what she was wearing, the attitude of people, the the breath she took in inappropriate places, nerdtacular. <laughs> awesome. But, you know, and there's all kinds of personal stuff mixed in, but I'm going to say this gets into each recording. Yeah, that's for pretty, sure. Pretty deep. If and you're the, not as deep, there's a YA young adult book. It's called Up Close, Ella Fitzgerald by Tanya Lee Stone. And it's kind of, it's it's a quicker read than First Lady of Song, if you want to read um, a little bit more about her. And um, last book recommendation, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, The Complete Biography of the First Lady of Jazz by Stuart Nicholson. That's a good one, too. And so, I think we should leave you with words from Ella Fitzgerald herself. Some encouraging words from the First Lady of Song. Just don't give up doing what you want to do. Where there's love and where there's inspiration, I don't think you can ever go wrong. Love, Ella. That's perfect. Thank you so much for listening. We have learned a lot. We have. I learned a lot more than I thought I would. We have got songs stuck in our head. (laughs) I hope that has also happened to you. Yep. We'll see you next time. Bye. For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks with with an X. X. Or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. The music in our podcast comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. 
feeling mighty lonesome Haven't slept a wink I walk the floor and watch the door And in between I drink Black coffee Love's a hand-me-down Talking to the shadows, one o'clock till four. And Lord, how slow the moments go when all I do is pour black coffee. Since the blues caught my eye, I'm hanging out on Monday. Sunday dreams to dry. Now man is born to go a loving. A woman's born to weep and fret. To stay at home and tend her oven. Regrets in coffee and cigarettes. I'm mooning all morning, mourning all the night, and in between it's nicotine and not much heart to fight. Black coffee, feeling low as the ground. It's driving me crazy, just waiting for you, baby, to come around. This is what happens when Becky.